Today, we continue in our time of looking at this Assurance of Salvation series. And it's a kind of a transition a little bit that we've been looking at this uh, salvation of assurance and what God has done for us in, in our lives and this great gift of salvation that God has given to us. And we're going to start asking this question or, or looking at, you know, this understanding of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the things that maybe we don't fully understand. A lot of believers don't understand what the, the this is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. And so we're going to kind of go, you see the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, and you're thinking, well, didn't we already look at those passages of Scripture? Yes, there are some of these passages, if not all these passages, that we have already looked at through these, this series of salvation series. But we're going to kind of zone in on this understanding of, in these passages of Scripture, what does it talk about when it comes to the Holy Spirit in our lives? Because again, that's one of the biggest misconceptions or misunderstandings. In fact, uh, Francis Chan, who, who wrote the, the, several years ago his book, A Crazy Love, was made popular as a pastor around the San Francisco area, went on a, a missions trip. Uh, he was a, part of a, a very large uh, church there in San Francisco, very wealthy pastor. And all of a sudden, that mission trip changed his life. And he writes this book, and, and it basically was a challenge to say, say, listen, I think we have this understanding of, of God's love totally wrong. It, it's not, God doesn't so much care about our, our, uh, our comfortability. He wants to use us, and so it was a, really a book, a challenge that came out of from his life that he stopped being the pastor of that church. He, he, him and his family moved to a smaller house and was giving away more of their, their money than ever before. He writes a, another book that's called The Forgotten God that deals with the Holy Spirit because that's really, again, that's our, our mentality is we don't talk about the Holy Spirit too much. But in the, uh, the Alliance, we do. In fact, the guy who started the Alliance is A.B. Simpson. Here's a little Alliance trivia. Does anybody know what the A.B. stands for? Albert Benjamin. There you go. Albert Benjamin Simpson. He uh, was a Presbyterian pastor in New York City at the time, went down to the docks uh, during his week to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the uh, Irish immigrants that were coming on the, over, that were working on the docks. He then was, was there, uh, and as they began responding to the gospel, he started inviting them into his church. Well, the Presbyterian church that he was at didn't like that, and he was like, listen, Either they stay or I go. And they said, we'll see you later, Pastor. And his heart was so much for this understanding of reaching out to the, um, the, the, the world. And so then he started, the, the, the course, the, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And, and through that time, he came up with this uh, uh, fourfold gospel, how Jesus is our Savior, how Jesus is our sanctifier, meaning that Jesus uh, works in our lives to become more like Him, how Jesus is our healer, that uh, He cares about our bodies just as much as He cares about our soul, and how Jesus is our coming King, that hope that we have in Him. He writes a devotional called The Days of Heaven on Earth, and this is um, what it looks like. And in, on January 31st, he writes this, more and more we are coming to see the supreme importance of getting the right concept, conception of sanctification, not as a blessing, but as a personal 
union with the personal Savior and the indwelling Holy Spirit. He says it's understanding of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. He says it's, it's this understanding that there's this relationship that takes place between the personal Savior and the Holy Spirit that indwells in us. Thousands of people get stranded after they have embarked on their great voyage of holiness. In other words, they become followers of Jesus Christ. They know they gotta now got to live like it, but they get, they, they get stuck because they don't know how to. He continues, they find themselves falling and, fa- falling and fa- failing and falling and are not astonished and perplexed, and they conclude that they must have been mistaken in their experience. And so they make a new attempt at the same thing. And again they fall. Until at last, worn out with the experiment, they conclude that the experience is a delusion. Or at least that it was never intended for them. And so they fall back into the old way. And their last state is worse than, than the first. And what A.B. Simpson is saying is this. So many believers in Jesus Christ, after they become followers of Jesus, they know, okay, now I'm supposed to live like Jesus. And so they just... Think in their mind, okay, i, I got to follow these rules, the list of do's and don'ts. That's what it means to be a good follower of Jesus. i got to, and, and depending on your generation, this is either some of the rules. i got to, you know, I can't play with uh, playing cards. I can't uh, go to certain places. Uh, one of them was the movie theater years ago. You can't go to movie theaters. You can't uh, play playing cards uh, and so forth. There's these rules that so many times we have. And you say, that's not what it's all about. He ends by saying this, what people need today to satisfy their deep hunger and to give them a permanent and divine experience is to know, not sanctification as a state, but Christ as a living person who is waiting to enter the heart that is willing to receive Him. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And that's one reason why I'm an Alliance pastor. is because they understand that the Christian life isn't this, this. we got to try harder. So many times, even as, as when you get to the end of so many sermons, so, so many times what do people say? Well, you got to try harder. you got to try harder to live a Christian life. And you have to get to the point, and, and if, sometimes you get frustrated with that. I know I did. I got frustrated with that. And being like, man, I go out. And I'm like, yes, I can do this. And then I get in my car, and the first thing I do is, is I get down to the stoplight, and, and, and someone cuts me off. And what do I do? I'm sorry, maybe not cursing at them, but they're like, how dare you do that to me? Five minutes later. And then we're like, oh, man, I just blew it. i got to try harder. Well, guess what? You can't live the Christian life. God never intended you to live a Christian life. To live like Christ in your day-to-day life. On your own strength. You can't do it. Instead, this is the posture we need to have. That's what A.B. Simpson was saying. What posture is that? If you're running in a, down the road <clears throat> and the police are chasing after you, what are they going to say? Stop! Put your hands up! Why? Why do you put your hands up when the police are coming after you so that the police officer knows that you don't have any weapons because if they if they think you have a weapon what's going to happen to you you're either going to get tased or you're going to get shot and they're trained to not miss that's why you put your hands up act of surrender that's the heart ish that's the the attitude of our hearts 
when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we become a follower of Him, this understanding that, yes, we become, now it is time to live a life, and we've seen that, that it changes our lives. It, it creates in us what's this fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It, it just happens naturally. And how does that happen? By this attitude of, I surrender my life to You, Lord. I surrender my life to You. And so we're going to look at these passages and continue into the weeks ahead looking at John chapter 14, 15, and 16, what's called the upper room discourse that Jesus, as he is preparing his disciples to leave, uh, for him to leave, he talks about, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to send someone else to be with you. The Spirit of truth. That comforter. And so we'll look at that in the weeks ahead. But today, kind of that understanding of this God in us, the Holy Spirit's role in us. So we're going to begin by looking at Acts chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 37-39. This is a section that we, verse that we looked at dealing with that question, you know, how does a person become a follower of Jesus? According to the Bible, this is the Pentecost scene here where, where the... The, the, God pours out the, the Holy Spirit there in Jerusalem and, and Pentecost, and people are, are hear this and they're, they're kind of freaking out over it because they're seeing these uneducated fishermen starting to speak in, in, in languages that, that they know that they, they don't know. And that's supernaturally, again, the gift of tongues and how that all plays out. When we look through the book of Acts, that's what happens many times. God supernaturally gives the ability for the people to speak in, in other human languages to, for the purpose of the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you have this scene where Peter stands up, and this isn't Peter's whole sermon. Uh, he is not the only one preaching, but this is what Luke gives to us as a summary statement. This is what happened. And so at the end of Peter's sermon, or, or explaining what's happening, they go, the crowd goes to him and says, okay, what must we do? And so in verse 38, if you have your Bibles, uh, follow along with me. Peter replies, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God summons or calls. And so Peter says, you know, these, here's two things that you need to do uh, to... In response to this, number one, you need to repent. And we, we saw that, the, the, where that understanding of changing. I was reading a, I get this magazine called uh, Heart Cry from the Heart Cry Missionary Society. Uh, and they had a picture in here that looked like this. When Hindu believers in India come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is the very first thing that they do as a sign of repentance. They gather all their idols, and that's what this is. These were idols. They put them outside, and they light them on fire. As a symbolic saying, I am done with Hinduism. I am done worshiping these worthless idols. I now choose to follow Christ. That's what repentance is. To turn, to change, to, to, to turn 180 degrees and now start following after 
Jesus. And then the other thing he says is, Peter says, be baptized. Again, baptism doesn't save you, but it's that public declaration of saying, this is what happens in my life. I choose no longer to, to follow my old sinful life. I choose to follow Christ. And not only that, it's the picture of you know, what happens to us. Well, our old sinful life is dead, is buried, and that's what goes down underneath the water. And then we come up into this new life with Christ. Again, that picture, of, this is what happens. Which is why baptism, even nowadays, that's what we're declaring. I was a sinner, and my old sinful life is buried, and I've been raised to new life in Christ. And as I walk out of that baptismal uh, baptistry or that pond or, or that feeding trough or swimming pool, wherever you get baptized, as I walk out of there, I am that new creation in Christ. My life is totally changed. And then Paul goes on. Sorry, then Paul Peter goes on and says, Now there's some results that happen when that happens. Number one is that you will experience forgiveness of your sins. Verse 38 Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins are going to be forgiven when you do those two things. But the second one. It's also true. Not only will your sins be forgiven, but you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The understanding of gift is freely. God's going to give you this whole the Holy Spirit freely. And according to the book of Acts, and according to Paul in Romans chapter 8, the, whole, the follower of Jesus receives the Holy Spirit at their time of their conversion. At that time. Because you see that passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, according to Paul, he says this, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. In other words, Paul is saying here, if, if as followers of Jesus, if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, well, guess what? You're not a true, true follower of Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul Peter says, you know, when the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the moment you are that you go from that that you your your dead sinful life is buried and you get new life. The moment you you become this this child of God, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in in you. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, according to what Paul and Peter are saying. Another passage we looked at, First Corinthians. In fact, uh, turn with me to that passage again. We're not going to go too much in depth through these passages because we've already looked at them. We're just going to highlight some of these things that deal with the Holy Spirit as we begin talking about this great gift that God has given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, we t- looked at that last week, this understanding of, of when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And again, the church in Corinth is a problem church. He is constantly writing to them and constantly answering their questions. And he is constantly helping them understand this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in your pagan society, in your pagan town. Because they came out of paganism. And they had no concept or no clue of, of, of after being a follower of Jesus and, being, and putting your faith and trust in Jesus, it now affects how you live. And so as Paul goes on and talks about that, and one of the things that he explains is about that, that, those verses there. And it, it matters what we do with our bodies. It matters how we live. It matters what we do. 
And then Paul goes on and, and explains it. The reason why it matters what we do because of verses, verse 19, 19. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Don't you realize that the reason why making sure what we do with our hands, making sure what we do with our feet, making sure what we're looking at on the internet or on TV, making sure that what we do with our lives, it matters. And making why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, dwells with us. Paul uses that word temple not by accident because it goes back to the Old Testament. I mean, Paul's a Pharisee. He knows the Old Testament better than, than anybody. Because as a Pharisee, you had to memorize the Old Testament law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You had to memorize it word for word. That was like the final exam. If you could do that, you, you knew what you were talking as a Pharisee. And then on top of that, they added a bunch of other commands that they would follow. And Paul describes himself as he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the, he was the best Pharisee that could be, ever be before he met Christ. Which is why he was so zealous to persecute the Christians or the people of the way, as they called them. And so there's no, it's not by accident that Paul says, Don't you realize that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And why he uses that phrase, temple, because of the Old Testament image and where God dwelt. Exodus happens, God brings the nation of Israel out of Egypt, brings them to Mount Sinai. One of the things that God tells at Mount Sinai is, I want you to build this tabernacle. And it's very specific. Sometimes, you know, we get, we get bogged down usually when we, we hit that part in Exodus and, and uh, um, when we're going through our, our Bibles in a year, we're thinking, ooh, man, this is crazy. What in the world is a cubit? How many cubits? Are and so forth. And it's very, very specific. And so God gives the instructions on this is how I want you to build. And then Moses tells them and then Moses says, this is how we build it. And so sometimes we have, again, multiple chapters dealing with this stuff. But this was so important because this was where God was going to dwell with the nation of Israel. And God tells them, if you want to worship me, you got to go to this place. This was the place where this was at, the Ark of the Covenant, where you would... the. The, ta- the tabernacle was divided into two sections. You have, you, of course, you have the courtyard where the altar was at and the, the labor where the, the wash, ceremonial washing, then you went into the tent and then you had the, the holy place where you had the bread and you had the, the candles and so forth. And then you had this very thick veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And the holy of holies, that was where the Ark of the Covenant was at. And God, as a and that was the Ark of the Covenant was that symbolic sign that that was where God's presence dwelt. Which is why no one could go in there except for the high priest once a year. And he had to go through all this ceremonial washing, sacrifices, had to sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat which was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And if they screwed up one, the high priest would die. Which is why tradition tells us that, that they would have the high priest on this day of atonement. They would wear bells on their, their ankles. And, and as long as the, the other priest could hear the bells ringing, they were okay. But the bells stopped ringing. That means he died. And the, the other thing they 
did was they tied a rope around his ankle. And if the bell stopped ringing, and they would give it a little tug, and they would pull the dead body up. I mean, that's God's holiness. Sometimes, again, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are too flippant when we come into the presence of God, or who God is, that God is holy. When Isaiah sees that image or the vision of who God is on his throne, what does he cry out? He says, woe is me. Because he recognizes he is a sinful, fallen man that has no standing before a holy God. So years later, David brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and his son Solomon builds a, a temple. Again, it was structured the same way. You had the, the holy place and you had the holy of holies that was divided by a, a curtain. And you had, again, that was the only place. If you wanted to worship the Lord, if you wanted to worship Yahweh, you had to go to Jerusalem because that was the place where God dwelt. That was it. That's why over and over again, God tells the nation of Israel, you know, you can't offer sacrifices under any tree. You have to go to Jerusalem. You can't, you can't worship anywhere else besides Jerusalem, which is why there was times every single year where every, where every single male in the nation of Israel had to travel to Jerusalem to worship God. If you wanted to give God offerings, grain offerings, or, or any type of praise offerings, you had to go to Jerusalem because that was the place in the entire world where God dwelt. Of course, historically what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys the temple, takes the Ark of the Covenant uh, back into uh, Babylonia, and then uh, there's a guy by the name of uh, uh, King uh, Cyrus uh, who comes uh, years later, 70 years in the, after the end of exile. He comes and gives permission to the Israelites to go back into Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple. And that's where we get the books of like Nehemiah and, and, and Ezra as they do that. In Jesus' day, this is what the temple, well, we think that's what the temple looked like based on archaeologists. It is interesting in Jesus' day, there is some debate about was the Ark of the Covenant in the temple at the time? Did the Ark of the Covenant ever return from Babylon? There is some of that we don't know. I guess we'll have to turn to Indiana Jones to figure that one out there. So, Raiders of the Lost Ark. But what happened in Jesus' day and age, what happened is this, is, is it just started to become just a formality. Which is why Jesus hammered away and said, listen. And even the Israelites, when they came back, Jesus hammered away and said, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your sheep. I don't want your goats. I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. And the nation of Israel, eventually in Jesus, they thought, hey, you know what? I'm an Israelite. I'm right with God. Or, or, hey, if I do this and just bring this sacrifice or, do, or, or say these, these words, boom, I'm right with God. And Jesus said, no, it's an attitude of your heart. Where's your heart? And so again, so many times when we use that word, you know, temple, or we use that word house of the Lord, nowadays this is what we think of. But it's not true because according to Paul, this is the house of the Lord. This is where God dwells. This is God's Spirit. We, the Holy Spirit,
of every single person who believes in Jesus Christ. Which is why Jesus says to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the Israelites say you can worship God in Jerusalem. The Samaritans say you worship God on this mountain. Well, there's going to come a day when the, my true followers are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. They can worship God wherever. It doesn't matter because God's spirit is going to dwell inside of them. And wherever they're at, they can worship God. In the Old Testament, the temple was where God dwelt on the earth. That was where if you wanted to worship God, you had to go to that location. Which is why even to this day, Jewish people that don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they don't know what to do because the temple's gone. In a real sense, it was God destroying that, allowing the Romans to destroy the temple in 70 AD as this reminder of the old has gone. The old covenant has passed. This new covenant of Jesus' blood is, is what's now. In the New Testament, God no longer dwells in a building, but in every single believer. Paul says it matters how you live your life because don't you realize God's Spirit lives inside of you? Don't you realize that? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Again, another passage that we looked at, this one dealing with the, the fruit of the Spirit. This gives us a little bit more insight into, as Paul explains, you know, this, how does this play out? Yes, we are given the Holy Spirit when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Yes, we, the God's Spirit dwells inside of us and we, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. But how does this affect how we live our daily lives? How does this affect what we do? And so as Paul goes and explaining and really Galatians is this this book that letter that after the church council where where in Acts chapter 15 the the church comes together to try to make sure that you know this is really what the gospel of Jesus is all right the question is does a person have to become Jewish in order to become a follower of Jesus and we we should be glad that the church got that right because as Paul writes this letter to the, the believers there in Galatia, you have these false teachers who are, go to them and say, oh yeah, by the way, Paul didn't explain everything to you. You have to accept the Old Testament law and you have to live like a Jewish person in order to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this letter and says, that's a bunch of baloney. Don't listen to them. And he asks them this question. How did you receive the Holy Spirit in your life? Through the obeying of the Old Testament law or through believing in Jesus? And then he explains this freedom that we have, this life that we have, as the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so Paul goes on, and he gives us some, some very uh, simple uh, commands here in, in verse um, 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit. That is a command, the word walk is a command that Paul says to the believers there in Galatia, this is what you must do. Walk. And sometimes we look at that word of saying, okay, walk, you know, like uh, as Paul saying that we literally need to like start uh, putting our two feet in front of the other and start walking around with the Spirit. That, the word can also mean symbolically, which means obey. To conduct our lives in obedience to the Holy Spirit. That's what that word walk means. We are to obey 
the Holy Spirit and how He leads us and how He guides us to conduct one's life in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, it goes on and says in the same verse, when we walk, when we conduct ourselves in obedience to the Holy Spirit, this is what's going to happen. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As we constantly live in obedience to the Holy Spirit, we will never follow our sinful desires. We'll see how this all plays out here in a few moments more practically. But Paul says, don't you realize that the Spirit's desires are totally different than the, the flesh or your sinful nature's desires? We, and we saw that when we went through this passage of Scripture, the, these lists. I mean, the, the flesh desires is all about me. It's all about sinful. It's all about uh, selfish. It's all about pride. It's all about, uh, you know, get to do, do whatever. Whereas uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's all about putting other people before ourselves. He says, don't you realize that these are not compatible with each other? And if you follow in obedience to what the Spirit of God desires, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And at the very end of this passage, Paul says this, but verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That word led means the Holy Spirit is to be the director of your life, to direct the movement of an object. It's like this. Every movie, there is a director. When I was involved in different uh, plays, uh, there was always be someone who directed it and said, this is where I want you to go. This is how I want you to say that. This is how I want you to, to, to come in and so forth. If you don't have the director, if you've ever been part of a, a play before or a part of a movie before, if you don't have a person calling the shots and leading all that, it comes total chaos because no one knows what they're supposed to be doing. That's the word here. That Paul says in verse 18, don't you know that because you're, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, He actually is the director of your life? Your life is like, there was a movie called The, the, the Truman Show many years ago where this guy didn't realize that this whole, his whole life was a movie. Uh, TV show production, reality. And then he realized uh, one day when he was sailing on a ship, he comes to the end of the set and realizes, hey, this is it. Uh, my life is uh, this, this movie that I'm in. You realize in a real sense, that's how we need to view our lives. The Holy Spirit of God is the director. He is the one that's leading us and guiding us. When we come to know Him as our Lord and Savior, we give up control. We surrender our lives to Him and we say, okay, Lord, use me in whatever way You want me to do. The Holy Spirit now, God becomes the director of our lives. And then one more image that Paul will say in verses 25 and 26 there. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, that understanding of keeping in step is, is following. Like follow the leader. Like Simon says, to be in line with a person who is considered as a standard for conduct. If the Holy Spirit lives in us, which if you know as Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then we know the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we are to follow Him. We are to be in line with Him. We are to 
understanding He is our leader and we do whatever He leads. One of the things that I uh, enjoyed uh, when I was a camp counselor was what we called the funky chicken. Probably not the funky chicken you're thinking of right now, but the funky chicken that we did at, the, at Camp Finley was we would have a caller, and everybody else would do whatever the caller said. And so we we'd first start off, uh, if, if this was a, a, um, a youth time, uh, then I would have you do it, but uh, I, already, I, th- I think you guys did well with the uh, Fruit of the Spirit song, and we'll just settle at that though, right there. But the funky chicken goes like this. At first, you start in a cadence. So you can go left, left, that is right, yeah, left, right, left, 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 right. And then everybody starts, starts marching like that. And then the person who's leading it would yell out, let me see your funky chicken. And then the, then the audience would say, what's that you say? And then the leader would yell out again, let me see your funky chicken. And then the, 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 the campers would yell out, what's that you say? And then you say, let me see your funky chicken. And then the campers would yell out, what's that you say? One last time. And then you actually do the funky chicken, which according to our funky chicken was you flap your arms and go like this, like jumping around like that. And then you'd be like, one more time, and then you go again, like that. And then all of a sudden, you could be like back in line, and then you start marching again. You go left, 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 right. And then we had all these things, and then let me see your Superman. And depending on what the caller said, that's how you were supposed to act. So we would have Superman, and then eventually everybody would be flying around the, the tabernacle, what we, we call the tabernacle, uh, and flying around the tabernacle as Superman. Then we did uh, the, the whole uh, sizzling bacon, which was kind of um, interesting. You would lay on your back and kick your, well, let me uh, demonstrate here. Lay on your back, kick your feet up like that, go like that, <laughs> which was interesting because that was a very similar one to uh, dead cockroach uh, as well. Um, but, but depending on what the caller said, that's how you acted. That's the mentality that we need to have as believers in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is that caller. And when He says, do this, then our prayer is, what's that you said, Lord? Okay, you want me to do that? Good. Let's go do it. The Holy Spirit lives in our lives, which He does. We are to follow Him. As a believer in Jesus Christ, God gives us His Spirit to empower us to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to Him. Our bodies, it matters how we live because our bodies are, these, are, are the house of God. The temple of the Holy Spirit. We are to obey. We are to understand that He is the director of our lives now. We are to walk in a way in, in alignment and following Him. He's the caller. We're just the responder to say, okay. But how do we do that? How do we get our lives, get it to a place where we are, we get aligned with the Spirit? So that when we, are, we can hear what the Spirit is telling us, so we can hear what He wants us to do, so that we can walk in obedience to Him. And the first thing is this, there's no shortcuts. We are a microwave generation. It may not be good, but it's instant. That's how instant coffee is. If you like instant coffee, I apologize. <clears throat> I, I do not like instant coffee. It's quick, but it's not good. This TV, uh, we were never allowed to have these TV meals um, 
except for every once in a while my mom would give in. And we learned very quickly that the mashed potatoes in those microwave meals are a little different than normal, normal mashed potatoes. The Salisbury steak that they claimed was a Salisbury steak was a little different, but it's instant. There's no magic, if you want to say, no magic, instant, microwave, hey, here we go, this is how we do it. And this is where the alliance, again, kind of is one of those things. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But yeah, at the same time, this is a lifelong journey that we're on. A lifelong journey. And so many times we, we think, oh, is this, is, if I can do this or take this shortcut or if I can, I just read this book or that book or listen to this. I, I, no, there's no shortcuts in this. This is a lifelong journey because this is a relationship, as A.B. Simpson said. This is a relationship. When you marry your spouse, hopefully when you marry your spouse, it isn't like, hey, I got my spouse all figured out. If, if you go into your relationship like that and be like, you know what, you know what, honey, we're good. We dated for two years. I know you. You know me. Yeah, we're, we're good. And you never build out that relationship. That relationship will crumble very quickly. And so many times that happens. Instead, it is a lifelong commitment of daily, sometimes, learning about your spouse. There's times when Marguerite and I were first married, we would just look at each other sometimes and be like, why are you doing that? And she'd be like, oh, no, that's the way I've always done it. And she would look at me. She still looks at me. Why do you do that? And I said, oh, no, that just makes more sense to me doing it that way, I guess. So it is a lifelong journey that you have with your spouse, and the same as with the Lord. So here's some tips. How do we get ourselves into the place where we can walk in obedience to the Spirit? Number one is spending time in prayer. And that's not just saying, bringing the list of, God, here's my to-do list, or here's my need list, and treat God like a genie in the bottle, or treat God like a, like a, a vending machine, or, or Santa Claus, and be like, God, I, this is what I want you to do for me. This is spending time with Him in prayer, pouring out your heart, praising Him for who He is, being still, having those conversations with God in prayer. And number two, is spending time in the Bible, reading it, memorizing it. That's something we do not do very well in our culture, memorizing things. And I, I've heard so many times people say, oh, I can't memorize, I can't memorize Scripture. I ask them, do you, know your, do you know your phone number? Yeah. Do you know your address? Yeah. Well, how did you memorize those? That repetition. Do you realize you can memorize anything? And there is, there's ways, you, there's tricks that if you read something, if you read something every single day for, if you do a verse and you just read it like, like 10 times every single day for the entire month, you will have that verse memorized by the end of that month. Guaranteed. It's just that constant re- repetition, repetition, repetition. I had a professor in, in college. He was an Old Testament professor. He, um, he would just quote chapters of the Bible. And we're talking about like passages like Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai. And all of a sudden, he would just quote these chapters, and we're just like, what in the world? 
And we asked him one time, how do you know so much of the Bible? Did you sit down and be like, you know what, I'm going to memorize uh, this chapter of the Bible uh, today and, and sit out and do that? He said, no. He said, it's just been years upon years upon years of reading it. He read through the Bible every single year. For when the time that I met him, uh, he was uh, in his 70s, so he probably had been read through the Bible every single year for probably about 50 years. And he knew his Bible like the back of his hand, the point that he could just quote it. The point where we, we, we tested him one time and said, quote this chapter, and he did, word for word. That is, the meditating on it is not, Eastern meditation is like yoga, where we're em, Eastern meditation is emptying your minds. Meditating, when it talks about Bible, is that you are constantly thinking about it. It's like a cow. A cow chews some grass, goes into one stomach, and then it spits it back up and chews on it a little again, then goes into another stomach, and, and so forth. And, and it's constantly chewing on the grass. That is the mentality that we need to have. We need to be constantly chewing on God's Word and allowing the truth of God's Word to impact our lives. Because what happens is this, is as we do those two things, we're actually cultivating the soil of our heart and getting our hearts into the right place so that when the Holy Spirit speaks and says, this is what I want you to do, we listen and we know this is what is pleasing and honoring to God. It's the cultivation of a heart, the getting the weeds out, so that we can then become this wonderful, abundant fruit, like, like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kind of goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, things that is naturally produced in us. We don't have to try to be more loving. We don't have to try to be more joyful. These things just naturally produce in us. Because of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, then we have this heart that is cultivated in a right relationship with God. So that then, the tools are in our hearts so that when the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go do this. I want you to say this to this person. I want you to act like this. I don't want you to act like this. They, we then know we have the truth of God's Word. That we can... Number one, make sure it's the Holy Spirit telling us to do these things. Because if it's not in alignment with God's Word, then it's not of God. That's why John says, test the spirits. But we give our hearts in that right place so that then, when the Spirit of God is speaking, we can say, okay, you're the director. You're the caller. I'm going to walk in obedience to you. Again, it's a lifelong journey. There's no shortcuts, but it's that time to spend each and every day with our Heavenly Father.